Aloha and welcome to the Zeno Podcast, where we talk about how we shape stories and how they shape us. My name is Carly, and I'm here with my guest host, Selu. Uh, you may recognize her voice from our last podcast about Polynesians growing up in America. Yeah, hey everybody. So we're today going to talk about Native American culture. We're super excited to hear from our guest. Uh, go ahead and say your name and where you are from. Okay, my name is CJ White, and I'm from Flagstaff, Arizona. And this is uh, my first time on a podcast. Welcome. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Lathaniel White. Uh, I was born in Tuba City, but grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, same here. First time for a podcast. That's tough one. <laughs> there you go. Um, my name is Lynn Hardy. I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, too, but I am from a little town called Green Mountain, Arizona. Hopefully that's not in the map. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we're just going to jump in with some of our questions. Today we're going to be talking about Native American culture. And just like we have a lot of questions for you guys because we don't know a whole lot. So, yeah. So first, let's just start off with like the well, first, like we were just talking about before the podcast, like you talked about growing up on the reservation and then (coughs) not. CJ, you haven't grown up. No, I didn't grow up on the reservation. No. But then Nathaniel, you grew up half of the time mm-hmm. and then you said Lynn was straight up on <laughs> straight <laughs> well, up um, uh, my early childhood um, I did live in Flagstaff but I grew up mainly on the res mm-hmm. yeah. okay okay cool I did go to school in Flagstaff though yeah. okay yeah. cool cool so what's like the difference like the basic differences between like growing up in like Flagstaff or on the reservation like uh, I think a lot of it for, for kids is it's education. Mm. Um, on the res, you know, there is education and everything, but it's it's not as good as the education we could get in Flagstaff. You know, and that's why a lot of uh, families, they would send, you know, their kids, especially in Flagstaff, they have a, a border or a dormitory system mm-hmm. where kids could go from the reservation and have school, you know, in Flagstaff. You know, and it's a lot of just better opportunities, you know, in the future to you know, for high school, for college, you know, whereas on, on the res, the opportunities aren't as great there. And you know, it's just a lot of downtime and where kids get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like, there's a lot of people that don't even have running water, like wow. on the reservation. They're still like hauling from wells and stuff. And some of them don't even have like indoor plumbing. Like they'll have like an outhouse yeah. next to like their main house. Mm-hmm. So it's way then, different. Yeah, so there's like... Poor Lynn. It, <laughs> 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 Wait, did you, did you have an outhouse? Like, Well, or? even now, it's like embarrassing. But yeah, my family doesn't have running water at all. We have to um, haul water not only for us, but like our animals. Mm-hmm. And my dad built our house um, up from the ground up. Wow. And we have it now. It's humble, but it really does teach you. Is it regulation? You. Regulation? Does it pass, like, construction? Yeah, standards? yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's a great house. It's, it's a nice house. It just doesn't have your basic, like, running water. Yeah. It doesn't have, like, the indoor, like, shower and mm. um, toilet. But it it's a nice house. Like, it has electricity. Yeah. and That's really cool. It's way out there. I was actually, actually uh, went to a border town dormitory for high school, too. Oh, for cool. Four years. So that was just something. I did not want to go to school on a reservation school just because I Mm -hmm. understood that there was better opportunity Mm -hmm. going to Flagstaff, which is a really good idea because I ended up here. So, What made you want to come here, like all of you? 
It's Hawaii. <laughs> it's Hawaii. <laughs> Why not? Why Hawaii? not? <laughs> and I didn't have to pay for school. Yeah. 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 Uh, being being Native American, we're able to take advantage of um, financial assistance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> financial assistance, assistance. Uh, not only from the tribe, but the government as well. And there's also a bunch of other Native American scholarships that are out there. So it mm-hmm. makes it to where we don't have to pay. Yeah. It's, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly just want to leave. <laughs> I want it something new. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was cool to, you know, Polynesians and Native Americans are pretty similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I want to We're see. talking about that. Yeah. We talked about that yeah, last week layers. a little bit. But yeah. How they're like, super far away from each other, but they're also like, I feel like their cultures have a lot of similarities. Yeah. Like, like the storytelling, especially, and like I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about your culture, so. Yeah. <laughs> Stop me if I'm there. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But I have seen Pocahontas many times. Oh no, my! That's exactly. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like that. Don't lie. Uh, realistic <laughs> representation. Mm-hmm. No. Yes. The music this, isn't even right. That's what. So we don't even need to do this podcast. You know. Yeah. So everybody just go. Yeah. Disney's got everything right all the time <laughs> all the time always <laughs> historical always. facts right yeah. there. not quite <laughs> cool well then how like because you are native american but like you came here so like how do you live your culture here right now in this place if you do <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe. um it's kind of weird because back home it's really hard because a lot of the people aren't very friendly toward Native Americans because just a lot of us deal with issues such as um, drug abuse, alcohol, and a lot of the people, I guess, our lives are overtaken by that and we're kind of stereotyped as this people who are like damaged and, what's the word, under, misunderstood or? Underappreciated. Underappreciated. Mm -hmm. And growing up in that kind of way was hard. You kind of had to like stand up for yourself compete kind of like not be the victim which was, yeah. i was always told like don't mm. be that native yeah. kid be the kid who gets involved mm. and so stand up like just be proud of your culture mm. and there's there's a lot of, of racism uh, growing up in, in flagstaff even though it's such a, a liberal free-thinking town mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of undertones of racism you know it's not like straight in your face you know i'm racist yeah. but you know there's you know, people crack jokes, you know, like, mm. and, you know, it, it gets, you know, demoralizing, you know, so so you got to continually take the stand and be strong and not not fit those negative stereotypes, you know, it's it's always there. And so it's, it's nice to come to a, a place where, you know, I mean, there is still some racism, but it's not as prevalent, you know, people are more accepting and understanding of you know just everyone's own culture and own and everyone wants to understand one another whereas you know back in arizona it's like being native american you know was it's kind of a a shameful whereas you know as in you know white culture you know they taught us you know to be ashamed of ourselves and it got to the point where like even native americans especially like my mom or grandma's generation, you know, they were taught to hate themselves. So they wanted to be, you know, white mm-hmm. rather than, so that 
a lot a lot of us growing up not learning our own yeah. culture our own language and being you know therefore whitewashed and so now a lot of us have this uh, self identity where we don't know who we really are and we're seeking for it so that's yeah yeah th that kind of leads into like our questions for today because a lot of it's like we need to educate people about the culture and like also how to get it back I guess so is that like happening right now um I know in Hawaii since the Hawaiian culture has been like um I don't know not submerged but like <laughs> like covered watered up a little down. bit yeah watered down <laughs> they're they're doing like those schools where little kids just learn Hawaiian from kindergarten up is there like are there things like that going on or is it still a problem that needs to be addressed like the the language especially like um I think with the Navajo language I mean it's not as like I know Hawaiian language it's kind of like rare but I mm -hmm. feel like Navajo we still have Mm -hmm. a lot of it left it's so strong. there's the Navajo emergency mm -hmm. schools in Flagstaff oh that's cool it was kind of sad because I the child didn't take it seriously which mm -hmm. I wish I really did because yeah. I can barely speak it myself mm -hmm. but it's something that you know I think us now have to take responsibility of kind of like learn it for mm -hmm. ourselves at least some of it before yeah. it's gone yeah I feel like it's pretty a rapid like decline in the amount of people that are fluent in the Navajo language mm -hmm. and I think like the uh the Navajo like tribal government senses that's like a problem mm -hmm. but they have a lot of their own like problems that are going on within their government as well mm -hmm. so I don't know they don't they don't really have like the resources to be able to address that yeah but I'd say that's like probably the most important thing is the language and even though Navajos, it's like the biggest tribe in the United States, or one of the biggest tribes, there's like over 200,000 members. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe like 20, less than 20% can actually speak the language oh, or are like wow. familiar enough with it. Mm -hmm. So it's like quickly fading, like the ability for people to be able to, to yeah. speak it. So I think like the preservation of that is probably like the most important thing. Like at this moment mm -hmm. and I, I think there's a lot of other tribes that are facing that kind of thing too yeah. what would you guys say is like sorry to take it to a different place but like um what would you say is like your favorite part about your culture food blood sausage mm -hmm. oh, Mutton, all of it mm -hmm. so oh good i love the stories my yeah. um great grandfather was a medicine man mm. um but he was converted to the church but just the stories my mom told me they're like they live simple lives but to me they're like amazing like <laughs> the mm -hmm. things they did and like the things they lived through just like being in arizona where the climate they lived at like you lived here like it's in the oh. desert no water and you guys are like doing very good <laughs> like, that's crazy yeah. Yeah. i remember my mom i was like uh we took this history class and they're like oh the great depression really hit a lot of people during that time and i asked my mom i was like what what, what was grandpa doing like what were, what were they doing she's like i don't think they knew <laughs> she's like that's i think awesome. they were already that's living so cool. like they were already living like self-sustainable yeah. kind of self-sustained the whole yeah. time and i was just like but just remember that like 
you come from them too so mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. don't strong. be weak <laughs> yeah be strong like them uh, i think my my favorite thing is you know again is the stories but being able to associate the stories you know with the land and where we grew up you know especially um i think it was this past past summer we went driving down uh past Kanta where my my dad is from and you know him telling us stories about you know him growing up you know in these particular areas just running around as a little kid and you know just climbing up some of the the mesas and some of the different large rock formations Mm -hmm. you know just being able to you know identify you know yourself you know with the land you know and the culture and and also with like the stories i'm really gotten into the uh the traditional instruments and and i make and play native american flutes so i i love the the stories and the the lure that it comes with you know especially with um music just touching so many people's lives you know people have an affinity with music and especially indigenous music because it's it's different but yet similar i just like i didn't grow up with a lot of like native american i guess cultural influence mm-hmm. just because like i don't want to say that being mormon kind of like got in the way of that mm-hmm. but it's like our family dynamic isn't the best with like our extended family and they were kind of like our connection to like the traditional side of like of i don't know i guess our culture mm-hmm. and so we we were kind of like we're we're always in opposition like with them because of a lot of things but now ever since i've been here in hawaii and i've seen like how hawaiian people or like polynesian people like embrace their culture i've wanted to expand my understanding of like where where i come from and one of the questions like for me is like how do native americans like how do they perceive like the american dream like what what is what is that kind of idea like for native americans because that we're like pretty underrepresented like in major. i guess major society or like culture whereas like you you have like a lot of influence i i could compare how like african-american culture has influenced like like the mainstream through music and like mm-hmm. different kind of like entertainment or even like latin culture and stuff mm-hmm. but there isn't like a ton of representation for native americans yeah. the only thing i can really think of is is this movie called smoke signals mm. that was <laughs> that came out like i think maybe 20 years ago but that was like yeah. an all like native american produced and wow. like like the whole story was was written by like native americans Never. and it's it's a really good movie mm-hmm. so it, you could check that out yeah but that's like oh, one of the only oh, things i can yeah. really think of that was like sort of mainstream and like represented like yeah kind of like the the native american like the modern native american experience Mm. yeah because it had to do with like living on the reservation and kind of like redemption from i don't know like domestic violence and like these kind of themes and stuff but i just like i'm trying to like understand the uh i don't know like the religious practices, mm-hmm. the uh, the cultural interactions between like different Native American tribes, because there's there's so many different Native American identities. There's like 
hundreds of tribes. <laughs> yeah. And so we're only representative of one of those tribes right. being Navajo. Mm-hmm. And our our culture is like pretty different from like the rest of like these Native American tribes as well. Because Navajos, they came from northern Canada and they kind of just like inserted themselves in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And that was like as recent as like the 1500s. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're like a completely different ethnic like identity from the tribes that are like in the plains yeah. of the United States mm-hmm. and those of like the mm-hmm. Eastern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You. you. Yeah. Way different from you. Way different from the Chickasaw. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just, I'm trying to have like more of like a modern like perspective of like what it means to be Native American. But this is the last thing I want to say and I'll let somebody else. But like our parents have a pretty like incredible story. Like mm-hmm. our our dad, he uh his parents divorced when he was like really young, so he grew up in in uh San Francisco, mm-hmm. like Bay Area, and then also like on the Ute reservation. Mm-hmm. He's half Navajo and half Ute and we're a quarter Ute and three quarters Navajo. But like he he just decided like that he didn't wanna be like everybody else in his family that was living on the reservation and felt like really resentful Mm -hmm. for the position that they felt like they'd been put in Mm. and he he just he wanted to you know break away from all that and so he doesn't really have like a really strong connection with his family Mm -hmm. and my my mother's pretty much like the same way when she was younger she was put into something called indian placement program Mm -hmm. and that was something that was sponsored by the LDS church to help young Native American kids get like a good education. Mm-hmm. So they were placed with like Mormon families. Mm-hmm. And she went from the time she was eight years old until she graduated high school, she lived with uh, LDS families. Wow. And she would only go back to the reservation like during the summer. Mm-hmm. So like they, they both, like when they met, they had like kind of like this vision of, they wanted their kids to be able to have like a good life and I guess like living on living on the reservation and and like seeing how other people like kind of they didn't have like the driver determination to try and like break out from I guess the poverty and and from the uh I guess the negative experience they experience on the reservation they they just wanted to like provide something different and so that's I've always kind of had that mentality of like I want to I want to do something which is the reason that I came here to school Mm -hmm. at BYU Hawaii because I had the opportunity like through a scholarship just to you know get a good education and stuff okay I because like Lynn had mentioned similarities between Polynesian culture and Native American culture what do you what would you say is like the biggest similarity that you've seen since being here um go ahead Lynn. oh okay. um, <laughs> go for it Lynn. <laughs> go for it um it's weird because i have a lot of friends who are like hawaiian and like different from different cultures but i just think the sense of family mm-hmm. like they're very close with their families um native americans do tend to stay kind of in a cluster on the reservations kind of like oh you don't leave your family kind of like you go to high school you go to college nearby but you don't leave the res and mm-hmm. i think it's kind of like the same not that it's a bad thing but yeah. it's just like that 
thing of like the family is mm-hmm. important. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what I see a lot of the similarities, a lot of it's has to deal with the way society perceived Native Americans and Hawaiians, you know, mm-hmm. both indigenous peoples. We went through a lot of the same struggles um, growing up as, as people, you know, they, they were influenced a lot by, you know, the Catholic Catholic Church, you know, and the missionaries. And then, you know, they came in and, you know, said, you know, your culture's is bad. You guys are savages and you're, you know, you know, just wearing loincloths and you guys got to cover up, you know, it's a sin. And so, and I I found a lot of this out while I served my church mission here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was able to, when I first started, I was here in Waianae, which is over on the west side, Mm -hmm. which is purely locals. I mean, if, you know, the only time you really let white people over there is if you're a missionary. And even at that point, you know, they really won't talk to you unless... You know, you're of, you know, of a brown skin color. So being Native American in India, we were able to relate a lot on, you know, the social issues that had gone for both of us, you know, as Hawaiians and Native Americans. You know, we faced a lot of the same struggles. You know, and so it's it's easy to understand one another when you have the the same struggles, and yeah, and the families is is a big thing, you know, and. I think the biggest uh, thing, especially with uh, the church and the Hawaiians, they're able to really incorporate and make, you know, the culture and church one and the same. Whereas in, you know, in Arizona, you know, it's if you're a Mormon, you're you're straight, strictly Mormon. You mm-hmm. you follow that Mormon culture, which is, uh, is so weird for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where, whereas. Yeah, and so, and if you're Native American, you strictly go, you know, the Native American route. Where mm-hmm. here in Hawaii, they're able to blend, you know, those together, and and that's what makes, I think, here in Hawaii, you know, a very beautiful place. Is that even though you have church and Hawaiian, they're able to blend it together and make it something, you know, beautiful. Whereas, you know, and that's, I think, what a lot of the church leaders, you know, see is the importance of having the you know, the cultures, you know, within, you know, the uh, the LDS community is it makes for stronger people and more diversity. It makes for something better and more beautiful. You know, it's like you can't forget, you know, the the things that you grew up with, you know, the morals and values, you know, of your culture. You know, take those beautiful aspects of it and meld it together and make something better. You know, don't just forget, you know, all that. Yeah. So... I guess I just don't know, but what are some of the religious or cultural practices that like are kind of different from Mormonism or Catholicism or what was changed and what was what's like, if you know any, I don't know. Well, like Navajo culture has a lot to do with like doing ceremonies Mm -hmm. and that usually comes at like times of year or the time of year when like the, the seasons are changing mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they'll do like they'll do dances there's one that's mm-hmm. called yebiche dances mm-hmm. and yebiches are like kind of like the navajo gods i uh-huh. guess or like the the deities mm-hmm. and so like that's that's one of them but the, it also has to do a lot with like a I don't know, like spiritual kind of like 
healing ceremonies and stuff mm-hmm. like there's a there's some different um i guess you could say it's like more like philosophical type of like ways of of being like of receiving these spiritual ceremonies like there's one that's called like the beauty way and then there's also kind of like the darker side of it mm-hmm. it referred to as like like witchery ways and stuff mm-hmm. like that but yeah navajo culture has like a lot to do with like ceremonial practices and most of the people like on the reservation like they do these ceremonies like pretty often really yeah it's like um it's kind of like a whole community thing oh really yeah Mm. it's like when you put on a ceremony it's kind of like not just for your family it's like the whole Mm. shipping like you gotta pull out the big bucks to do it um, there's also a coming of age ceremonies, I think. Oh, cool. That's mm-hmm. I, I had one. What age yeah. is that? Um, it's usually when a girl becomes a woman, like mm-hmm. that age, mm-hmm. like puberty. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They go through that process. I don't know if boys have one. Do they have one? I'm not sure. Not really. It's just like, not like formal. Yeah. Like, uh, and like, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's like. It's just a nod. It's just, it's a, <laughs> yep. I know with our <laughs> tribe, I know with our tribe, they have like, it's a lot more focused on women matrilineal or something like it's that? a it, yeah. the Navajo tribe is a matriarchal society okay. you know oh. so Matri- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the you know the women's you know they they lead you know more the like in the huh the women's all the women's yeah they they tend to lead you know the, the everyday lives of you know the society and the community that goes around um but when it but when you see like big time, you know, major decisions made within households, it becomes, you know, a is it paternal. Yeah. yeah. Patriarchal. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like balanced, I guess. It's yeah. not like, yeah. like women are the oppressive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they're, but they're, they're very important still. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. We're yeah. trying to fight the, fight the matriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah, luck. but but it's but it's it's one of those societies where you you listen to your mom and you know, if your <laughs> your mom or grandma says something you you snap to it and you you yeah. know you you do it you know because you know, if not you get get lickings you know, you get, <laughs> yeah yeah from get, mom oh, from yeah. mom get, oh yeah mom. I mean I mean growing up when I wouldn't do do something I mean. She would always, she would take that wooden spoon. Oh, was the spoon. Yeah. It's not a flip-flop. It's like not a flip-flop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the wooden spoon. That's, wow. Yeah. yeah. But uh, our clans are also, like, through uh, the women's, women's, the women's oh, lineage. Yeah. yeah. Like, like how we you have, keep track of lineage. Is yeah, yeah is through oh, okay. clans. Yeah, it's like, if you had daughters, you're considered lucky, because, like, the thing is, when you have daughters, that means the grandchildren and the children after kind of, like, belong to you. It's kind of kind of weird, because it's like, I have my grandma on my mom's side Mm -hmm. and my grandpa, so they're, like, the main ones, and then my cousins are actually my siblings, so... It's like not really a word for cousins. I'm like, oh, it's just my sister. But people are like, no, it's your cousin. Like, no, it's my sister. And then her kids are my nieces. But then, like, my dad's side, I'll be like, oh, they're just my cousins. Like, it's just my grandma. Like, I don't have that tie. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. We're in the Navajo culture. We have uh, four clans. Mm -hmm. And the clans come, you know, first ones are from our mother. And then Mm -hmm. second one's from our father. And then our last two clans come from our, both our grandfathers on each side. And, uh, yeah, maternal and paternal mm-hmm. grandfathers. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, so, and then 
when and if any of those four clans and when you meet uh, someone else who's Navajo, if any of your four clans are you know similar or the same, you know, you're related. You know, it's yeah. you it's a, it was a way of keeping track of, you know, who you're related to and, and to prevent incest. You know, yeah. that, that was mm. so so Navajos are you know, there's a lot of studies out there that Navajos are one of the purest bloodlines because you know, we don't have incest because of the mm-hmm. clan system. Yeah. So it allows for, it goes back s- at least five generations so that it allows so that stuff like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Wouldn't it be pure if there was incest? Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 Wait a second. Like well, in Europe. Well, 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 you know, like how European royalty, they yeah, used to like, mm-hmm. have incest, you know, keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. I'm just kidding. Keep it in the family. But that's how you get like one-eyed kids and birth defects. Kids with seven fingers. Yeah, that's a bad joke. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Well, that brings up another question, like probably it brings up another question oh it brings up (laughs) no No, just like thinking about like westernized thought coming in Mm -hmm. right to native american culture like because it's extremely patriarchal Mm -hmm. like westernized thought is very patriarchal and then just like i mean that's like one example of like the idea was pure bloodlines but to come in and then like how was that how are you? I guess like that is my question. Ah. Um, how was that like difficult to keep that like the matriarchal order in the Navajo tradition when colonizers came over? Does that make sense? Like, like, because it just I, like whenever like colonization happened, usually. Like, it was the system that was taken down first, right? So, like, oh. it would be replaced with the patriarchal system. Um, I, th- so. I think um, the only time you really see um, problems with that is when you have, like, mixed families, you know, where, you mm-hmm. know, the dad is, is a Native American and the the woman is, you know, Native American. And that's when you see a lot of uh, problems and you get domestic violence because they're both very strong-willed people you know a lot of Native American women are <clears throat> some of the strongest women that I know and you know they're and when they happen to get with someone else who is you know a very strong-willed you know person you know they tend to clash with you know their cultures and clash with you know even though they they love each other you know they you know passions come out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know that's, and so it, it, it's it's really the only time I really see it is is a is a big deal. And then when it comes to cross relationships with uh, Native Americans and, and white people and in the political arena, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where it gets really big. Whereas mm-hmm. you know our ideals are a lot different from you know white culture. Whereas you know, a lot of the treaties that were signed between Native Americans and the United States, you know, they weren't in benefit for Native Americans. You know, we didn't need these treaties. Mm-hmm. You know, they were because the United States wanted what we had. You know, yeah. they wanted the land. They wanted, you know, control over us. Whereas, you know, we didn't have that thought of, you know, ownership towards land or mm-hmm. ownership towards, you know, just 
kind of everything. You know, we lived in balance and with nature. We worked with, you know, we didn't take and take. Right. Well, like, I don't know if, like, because you said with the institution of, like, a patriarchal, like, did that overshadow kind of, like, the matriarchal, like, or how does that switch? But I don't know if there was, like, if... I don't know if you could really say, like, a European type of patriarchy is, like, the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. I guess from my own understanding, Navajos were, like, a pretty formative warrior culture. Because they, I I guess they kind of, like, Navajos and Apaches are pretty similar. And what I said earlier is that, like, that group of people they kind of invaded i guess like the southwest Mm -hmm. and from like history books i've heard navajos referred to as like the aristocrats of the southwest so they were more of like the wealthy like one of the wealthier like tribal groups Mm -hmm. as well so i mean they 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 had like these characteristics that you could say is like more like patriarchal but i think like with the question to like matriarchy it's kind of like they put a lot of emphasis on like honoring like women in the culture and with with the example of like passing down lineage through like the women's the woman's <laughs> side <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think but i think it's like yeah. it's very it's like very different mm-hmm. like the two cultures but yeah, yeah. so let's, okay. let's let's get to the, the woman's side on yeah. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> women's side can you repeat the question <laughs> I like women's 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 or we can even ask you a different question oh yeah, yeah. next <laughs> next <laughs> thank you next yeah just i guess um growing up with like guys around you i've mm-hmm. never super felt this but like mm-hmm. society tells me like boys think they're better because of the patriarchy is it kind of the same thing like growing up or did you not really feel that oh sure I guess, I don't know. It was just weird because in my family, the women really were, like, mm-hmm. everything. Like, yeah, it, it's kind of sad, but, like, I love my father, <laughs> but, like, my mom is, like, my rock. Like, yeah, I, yeah. like, look to her at everything. I'm like, Mom, mm-hmm. am I independent? Yes. Like, Mom, do I do this? Yes. <laughs> but um, Ask your it's mom, just because I, I think from, <laughs> I, I think when Native, I don't think, I know Native women ha- have had it hard just because... Mm-hmm. Um, just like Native Americans were already looked down upon and then on top mm-hmm. of that you're a woman yeah it's just like what can you do mm-hmm. um, my great my grandmother grew up in a very abusive marriage um, but she had 12 kids um, for this man and then he left she chased him away left he left and she continued raising these kids wow. on her own but and then she had the courage to send my mom on the same placement program as their mom Mormon mm-hmm. church so she chose that decision to send her kids away so it's like for growing up, it was just always just grandma, like mm-hmm. going to grandma's house. This is grandma. You listen to grandma, like, and then it's mom. Same with my mother. Same with my aunts. Like my aunts are my moms. Mm-hmm. So my moms. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just kind of like that strong woman lead. And then I went, started going to school and I started noticing that, oh, like, like, same with, like, other families. I'm like, the dad actually can have a say. Like, yeah. oh, the dad does <laughs> this kind of leadership. And I think being in the church, I used to be super jealous of mm-hmm. the girls who were like, oh, my dad, like, 
sat down and talked to me or my dad my mm-hmm. uncles like took me out to do this and I was like that's not normal but it is <laughs> normal mm-hmm. yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be normal and I think my mom always told us her daughters saying you're supposed to have a healthy relationship with your brothers and the mm-hmm. men that you meet and you're not you're supposed to be equals yeah and for a long time in high school I did struggle with that because I was like I only made fun of for being Navajo, like, oh, you have a big nose, like, you have the cheekbones by, like, other guys of different cultures, and, like, it was just hard to see mm-hmm. yourself as an equal, yeah. and as a woman, too, Ugh. but being here kind of, like, <laughs> being here kind of changed that, and now yeah. I kind of realized, like, oh, I do have a place, and I can develop a healthy relationship, like, with my future family, because my mom mm-hmm. was, like, She's telling me, she's just like, you know, me and my, your father worked to have this relationship, but you need to work to create a healthier relationship for the future of the mm. native youth. It's just because now I notice that a lot of girls aren't close to their fathers. A lot mm. of girls aren't close to their brothers. We don't have that strong male lead in the family. Yeah. That's what mm. I've noticed. And it has to be equal. So that's, that's what I noticed as a woman yeah. growing up on the res. And it's just, I didn't realize like the difficulties until being away from the res and I realized yeah. there were so many things wrong at home that mm-hmm. so many girls on the reservation think is normal which is like not yeah so and I also like and in going into that I was just like shocked by like that a lot of native women aren't just aren't noticed in general in society now yeah mm. so I think it's probably one of the biggest influences is seeing that you know the man's supposed to be the provider and take care of everything. Um, that importance has been kind of lost within the, as a man in the Native American, you know, they've, they've just kind of like, you know, if I've got something to do, I'll do it whenever I want. I want to do what I want when mm-hmm. I want. You know, they're kind of, you know, the the male lead is isn't being taken as, important as it is you know within the Navajo community as much and and then as being like being a man also you're you're look you're looked down upon you if you're have success you're doing really well you're doing you're you're considered sometimes in within your own community especially from the guys or girls you're looked down upon because oh he's a sellout you know he's he's not representing the culture he's not mm-hmm. and it's like it's like no you know it, we s- see that all too often is that you know you know if you make something great of yourself you're looked down upon but if you're if you're not doing anything it's like oh you're wasting your life you know so yeah. it's like you can't you can't win you can't, yeah. Yeah, you, you can't, you can't, you can't win you can't win either way yeah. so it's so but you know if and that's that's why it's like as I think Lynn said earlier, you know, don't be a victim. You know, that's been the struggle with a lot of, you know, the Native American cultures that they continually feel like, you know, they're victimized and or not victims because of things of the past. And because of things of the past, you know, I can't rise up. I can't, you know, do this. I can't do that. You know, my opportunities. But there's so many opportunities out there to take advantage and better yourselves. I just think that's just gotten into the heads of a lot of a lot of people you know on the reservation you know that you know they can't change you know their situations Mm -hmm. and if they do try to change and they fail 
then they're they're like I don't want to try again because it's just it just hurts and so you know there's a lot of those you know social connotations that that hurts you know the Native American uh, you know people as a whole it's like but that's also pretty understandable like why people kind of have like view themselves as a victim just because like Mm -hmm. well I guess for Navajos in particular they didn't make contact with like with Americans until like the later 1800s like like 1840s and within like a couple decades they had been moved from their ancestral homelands like in the southwest which was like Utah Colorado northern Arizona New Mexico to the eastern side of New Mexico, which is about like 400 miles. And it's just like such a heavy blow, like such a heavy trauma, like where the Navajos and the United States government were at war with each other. And they sent in cavalry to like, to gather up all of of the people, all of like the Navajo people. And they sent them 400 miles from like their ancestral homelands. And if any of the people in the caravan, if they'd stopped, they were shot, like, on the side, Mm -hmm. like, and just left there. Mm -hmm. And they spent three years at a reservation called Bosco Redondo. And they didn't have, like, they didn't have adequate supplies to be able to, like, to feed themselves or even, like, clothing and stuff. So there was, like, thousands of of Navajo people that died there. And there's also Apaches there as well. Mm -hmm. But they were, they, like, they were able to escape because there was, like, a less... A less amount of them mm-hmm. at this reservation but eventually they were allowed to like come back to their their homeland but they signed a treaty and so they were limited to the amount of land that like they actually had mm-hmm. and so like that's with most native american tribes the amount of land that they that they have been given as a reservation has kind of diminished like over the past couple hundred years mm-hmm. so like it's a pretty big blow if like your culture is completely like flipped upside down yeah. and you have to adjust to like this new, this new, uh, I don't know, like highly competitive, mm-hmm. highly competitive uh, atmosphere and where like education is everything and like opportunities, y- you need to have like the right connections and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Native Americans, they feel disconnected from that type of like mm-hmm. type of thing just because of like where they come from they don't see themselves having a lot of opportunity or being or even ha- having the knowledge to be able to like become a doctor or like a lawyer or something like that or even like to make something of themselves so that that I feel like that's mm-hmm. probably very disheartening yeah mm-hmm. yeah it is super disheartening because you know for Native Americans you know these wounds of the past, you know, are still pretty present, you know, with being, you know, demoralized and shamed by the United States government for, you know, being who we are, you know, it wasn't just, it was just back, you know, 1910, so that was my, my grandparents or even my parents, you know, their time where speaking your culture was shameful, you know, you were, if you were in a boarding boarding house, you know, you know, spoke your culture, you know, you got, you got beat or you would have soap put in your mouth, you know, and, and told that, you know, you can't speak your culture. And if you do, you know, we're, we're going to beat out the Indian in you, you know, and that's mm-hmm. so, 
you know, when, you know, and Caucasians, you know, come to the reservation and they, and they say, you know, oh, just get over it. You know, it's like, well, for some of these people, you know, that that was yesteryears or, yeah. you know, and for us, that's, you know, our secondhand stories, you know, that we heard, you yeah. know, so it's the the wounds are still pretty fresh. And so that it's, it's easy to understand why Native Americans still feel like they're victims. Yeah. But, you know, we, we want a lot of us, you know, I think us here, we're, we're trying to make something different, become leaders and become you know, people to make change, you know, for Native Americans. And so, you know, that's something that I think we're all striving for. Yeah, it's pretty crazy just to think how you would think people would be, oh, just get over it. But mm -hmm. it's like, when I really do think about it, it was just so recent. I remember my mom, because my mom went to boarding school, my mm -hmm. father went to boarding school. And he would tell me things. He'd be like, oh, like, I used to run away from the boarding school all the time. Like, <laughs> just walk home. I'd be like, what just you walk home? Yeah. He'd be like, I escaped. But he was telling me, yeah, they cut off my hair. Like, kids bullied me. He just mm -hmm. would be like, teachers would hit me. Um, we'd make fun of them in Navajo. My dad was a prankster. But like, <laughs> he's just, I remember me getting beat up by a teacher because mm -hmm. I spoke when I, want to sp when I want to speak Navajo. And he said, he wouldn't tell me certain things, but my mom would say, you know, he was severely abused in those schools. Mm -hmm. And same with my mom. She was kind of saved from the boarding school because she went on placement. But the things mm -hmm. she would tell me, just mm -hmm. like the kids, the like the little children would be dropped off and they would just be crying and crying. They don't want to leave their moms, but mm -hmm. they have to because <laughs> of the things that were set up for them for the education. And before younger before i realized all that happened i did have that like oh stop being the victim stop doing this like natives need to be like this and that but mm -hmm. it the trauma is real the trauma is it, it happened and it's mm -hmm. gonna take a long time for people to heal from that but there are like those points when like things are growing really tough like mm -hmm. native americans have been there to like kind of step up mm -hmm. i guess an example would be like navajo code talkers in world war Two. Oh yeah the, the united states they needed like they needed something that would be able to be used as a, a code so that against yeah. like the japanese and they use the navajo language and they they recruited these these pretty much kids from the reservation mm -hmm. to come to california and to like create this code that was unbreakable but just because like at that time there was maybe like 20 people that was fluent with the navajo language mm -hmm. and nobody in japan would have had any idea, <laughs> no. any idea like of the navajo language which is one of like the most complex like yeah native american languages yeah i've, I've heard that it's there's only one other language more complex which is mm -hmm. like finnish something <laughs> really yeah so it's it's a pretty complex you know language and and also it was a code within the language so even if you yeah. spoke Navajo you wouldn't be you able wouldn't to understand because mm -hmm. they use like everyday things like mm -hmm. for infantry there's a word in Navajo it's mm -hmm. it's Wulichi, mm -hmm. which that's like for a black ant 
So they would use huh. like different oh. things or like a hummingbird. I don't know that I have a word for a hummingbird, mm-hmm. but that's like a like a reconnaissance plane. Yeah, they had another one I read in a book. It was like bombs, but they described it as eggs, mm-hmm. something like that. Whoa. That's yeah. so clever. And then they like for tanks, they would uh, describe it as a, a tortoise. Mm. So it was, it, was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, and that's like. Sorry, I get really excited talking about no. this. Good, but <laughs> go for it. Like the Battle of Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. the the Marine Corps are like from like military commanders. They said that they wouldn't have been able to have won that battle like without the code, mm-hmm. because like it was just so important for them to be able to like get these. Me- and they were able to do like messages mm-hmm. like super quick, and yeah. all of them they memorized all of like the code, and so there wasn't anything written down, mm-hmm. and like they were so like just important to the mission and like if any of them were to be captured that would have just been like a huge blow to like to like the the military uh Mm -hmm. like operations i just love that too i love hearing about the trainings of navajo code talkers they had Mm -hmm. to learn not only had they they had to speak navajo but they had to learn english and then they had to read and write english Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) operate the system in the dark and all situations that they had in war Mm -hmm. and i was just explaining to mom i was like you know, why did these men volunteer for a nation that told mm-hmm. them they couldn't speak their language yeah. Yeah. for yeah. a nation that didn't want them mm-hmm. to assim- like they want them to assimilate, but they still are like, this is our land. We have to defend it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really like love that. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you hear about when they you know, transmit these codes, you know, they would do what would traditionally take two or three hours to decipher one code it would take them less than a minute, like wow. 30 seconds. You know, so they could relay information in real time. And yeah. so it was it was amazing to know that, you know, our language was able to do something so great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they weren't the first code talkers. There were some code talkers in uh, the First World War. And that's where they... Oh. Yeah. yeah. And that's where they came up with that, mm-hmm. you know, idea of, well, let's run with it. Let's make it more prevalent. And, you know... Just in military commands, you know, in war books, you know, they, without the Navajo code talkers, there's no way we would have been able to win the war in the yeah. Pacific. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I, I guess like that's just an example of like when, because yeah. that's very much in line with like, I guess the warrior spirit of mm-hmm. like Native Americans is like stepping up to to be able to defend like your homeland and i think native americans they like per capita they have the largest like military service really? of any really? other demographic mm-hmm. yeah That's mm-hmm. really like cool. during during vietnam mm-hmm. there were so many native americans that mm-hmm. like that went probably three-fourths of them wow. like the people at that time like mm-hmm. are are vietnam vets wow and then now now you got the the modern movement of you know the the water protectors and the environmentalists, you mm-hmm. know, whereas, you know, Native Americans, we've always been the forefront of environmental issues, you know, and, yeah. you know, you see us, you know, fighting for the rights of, of water, protecting the land, you know, and then, you know, so being able to really see it now within with social media, you know, being you know a big thing to put, you know, on the map of, you know, going against, you know, the system of, you know, of oil and drilling and, and really protecting and saving the land you know not only here in you know the united states you know you have your indigenous peoples and the south americans you know there's those indigenous people have been fighting you know against the oil companies for years and years in corporate america Mm -hmm. you know against environmentals you know and you know 
it's because, you know, that is our land, you know, that is where, you know, so a lot of the natural resources that are taken here in the United States, you know, they are on Native American lands, you know, and so, you know, the governments, they continue to try to take our resources and take and take, and where it's like, well, if you take so much, you know, you're just going to destroy and poison the land and make it, you know, not only terrible for us, but terrible for, you know, other peoples and the next generations to come. And I think that's what has been the the new modern warrior, you know, aspect of, you know, Native American culture is, you know, you know, has drawn a lot of young Native Americans because they, they, they see it. They have something to connect mm -hmm. connect to. And they see, you know, everyday people can, can be warrior and, and fight and rise. And what's been great about it is, you know, they haven't had to, you know, do it in a, a violent way. You know, mm -hmm. you can still be a warrior without, you know, being violent. You know, you can be a, a you know, person of peace, but still have that warrior aspect. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to anybody listening before we close up? We're out here. <laughs> We're here. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I don't know. I guess just trying to, like, preserve culture is super important. Um, I think, like, the main thing is pretty much education, is getting as many Native American people as possible with I don't know, professional credentials, being mm -hmm. doctors and lawyers. I'm studying accounting right now. That's so awesome. I'm going to be a, a CPA, but mm. I think that's that's the biggest thing is being able to be, like, self-sustainable, self-sufficient. That's the goal. Yeah, also that uh, Native Americans, you know, we're still here. We're, we're people just like you and us, you know. Don't mm -hmm. think lesser of us or think, you know, that we all live in teepees and we all <laughs> just eat buffalo and <laughs> you know we we have we it's have homes those buffalo wings so mm. um, but that you know we we have you know modern day conveniences you know just like you you know we're we're people you know we're just trying to live and survive um, but we have a culture associated with us you know that you know, makes it, you know, a little different. But, you know, we we just want to be happy and live good and strong, valuable lives as you guys are as well. I always used to be, I used to wish that I was not Native American. Mm -hmm. And I, all growing up, but I wish I could take that back. Cause, yeah. Um, yeah, we're still here. We're still strong and grow from the past. And we're going to continue onward. And I feel so happy to be from like a warrior people and that I still have the connection to them which is really cool and to the land too do you know what Sherman Alexi said about wishing that you weren't native what so you're not truly a native unless at one time you wished you weren't <laughs> sad but true <laughs> sad. yes He's a Native American yeah, author. Yeah, yeah. He wrote it's a, pretty prominent. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good author. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it was short notice, so you guys have been awesome. Um, and we'll see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in. This was the Zeno Podcast. You can stay updated by following our Facebook and Instagram pages at Zeno Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by BUA Hawaii's Reading Writing Center. You can also find us on YouTube or iTunes or by searching Zeno Podcast. That's X-E-N-O Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at BYUH underscore RWC at BYUH.edu. Thanks for learning by listening. 